Amazon stock is down $800 billion in market cap with the last year. And I'm going to show you in the next 20 minutes why this stock is now the cheapest it's been in 20 years and could present the best buying opportunity for the long-term investor. Give me 20 minutes. We're going to value this stock and we're going to figure out if we bought it today and held it for a decade, how much money we can make. You ready? Let's get to work. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for watching the channel, all the comments and subscribers. I greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to the rational investor. What does that mean? We hunt for value. We hunt for hard cash flow, cash money. That is what a stock is valued on and that's what we buy on. We are long-term holders. We want to own an interest in a company for 10, 20, 30 years and we want to buy right and hold on for a long, long time. This week, we're going to take a look at Amazon. Now, as I said earlier, that Amazon's stock price has absolutely fallen. Stock price is down 30%. That represents about $800 billion of market cap that have been absolutely erased. And as a result, the price multiple of the stock has collapsed. You can see behind me the enterprise value to EBITDA market multiple in the orange line has fallen to an all-time low, uh, excuse me, a 20-year low, about 18.2 times. Now, the question is, if we bought this stock today and held it for a decade, how much would we make? So what we're going to do is we're going to review Amazon. We're going to go through the historical financials for a long, long time. I'm going to show you 30 years of data. Uh, because that's what this channel does. We want to find the hard facts and we're going to look at it and we're going to figure out what we think this stock is worth. Now, what we're also going to do is we're going to value this company on the five key attributes that we use in this channel to give us a gauge on whether or not a stock deserves further due diligence. And those five key factors are as follows. Number one, top line revenue growth. We want a company that is growing the revenue. Number two, earnings growth. We use EBITDA. We want to see earnings growing. Number three, strong free cash flow. That's the name of the game. Number four, low debt. We want a stock that has less than three times debt to EBITDA. And number five, a well-priced stock. What is a well-priced stock? Well-priced stock is a stock that, with a conservative growth forecast, we believe will outperform the market. That's the idea. Warren Buffett always says the first rule of investing is don't lose money, and the second rule of investing is don't forget the first rule. That's basically what we're trying to do. We want to make an investment that protects our principal, and then hopefully get return on principal after that. And so you set a baseline conservative forecast, and if that conservative forecast and the current price means you're estimated to beat the market, that is a well-priced stock in our opinion, and it results in, it, it warrants further due diligence. Let's take a look at Amazon. We're gonna go through the P&L, the income statement, cash flow. We're gonna look at historical numbers, and I'm gonna put some charts up that's gonna give you a perspective of 30 year, 20, 20 years of data to kinda understand where this stock has been and where it could go in the future. Let's do this. Now, the very first thing we want to do is we want to look at the income statement for Amazon. Now, I encourage you to go to Amazon's website, download their 10K. You always, always, always want to read the 10Ks for every single stock that you own. They come out annually. You can find them on the SEC's website or you can go to the company's website in the investor relations section and download either it's called the 10K or the annual report. You'll see both those terms often. Here is Amazon's P&L, 2022, December 31st, year ending to December 21 and December 2020. You can see net sales for last year was $513 billion in one year. That is absolutely, absolutely monstrous in terms of revenue. 
Uh, it's one of the biggest companies in the world. It's I think Walmart is up there at 600 billion. These guys are at 513 billion dollars of revenue last year. That is up from 469 billion the year prior. That is up from 386 billion the year prior to that. Costs, total operating expenses, 500 billion last year, which means that they made 12 billion dollars, which is a much thinner margin than they had made historically. And that is why the stock has collapsed is because the A, it was trading at a very high market multiple, which we will come to in a second. And then B, the earnings missed and the, and the downside caused a huge decrease in the value, the market cap of the company. Now at $12 billion of operating profit, that used to be $24 billion. So the profit's been halved year over year. That was also $22 billion. So I think here there's a real opportunity for Amazon to be able to cut some costs and boost margin. I'll get back to that in a second, but I think that in this number, I'll show you there's a large stock-based compensation that's going to go away or decline coming in the future. And then two, I think they could easily squeeze 1% or so in margin by synergizing uh, cost-cutting these costs like here to generate a 1% of revenue to the bottom line. 1% cost savings of revenue is $5 billion of bottom line income or almost a 50% increase in what they're already reporting. And I think that's very easy for them to do is to cut 1% of, of uh, costs um, and, or, or increase margin by 1%. And I think that's some of the strategy they're doing uh, you're seeing that news come out from Google and Amazon and some of the other tech firms are cutting benefits to try to boost margin. We're going to see the same thing come out of Amazon. But basically, it's been profitable the last three years. You can see the makeup. I have another video where I go through a bit more about the where they derive their revenue and profit. Most of the profit is the, obviously their AWS service. At, and last year, that continued to grow an operating income uh, line. Uh, so I, I we're expecting that to, to continue on. But that's most of the P&L. If I come down below the operating income line, you get you get your interest expense, interest cost. They have very little debt, so interest isn't a huge problem for them. You get your uh, basic and diluted shares outstanding, and you get your earnings per share. Let's move over to balance sheet. Give the balance sheet a quick smell check. Okay, the balance sheet behind me. Now, one important thing to note about balance sheets. Balance sheets are always measured as a point in time. So December 31st is a point in time. It's measured as of that day. And all assets are marked to market for the most part as of that day. Whereas income statement and, and cash flow statements are measured over time. You get a, a, a three-month income statement, a one-year income statement. Uh, so that's measured over time. Balance sheets are measured at a point in time. So as of December 31st, cash on hand, basically cash in the checking account, $53.8 billion of cash. Then they've got another line, marketable securities. That's basically like they have so much cash that they're like they're going to buy treasury bonds and other marketable securities that are highly liquid and don't move very much for another $16 billion. That is roughly uh, 69, call it $70 billion of cash cash, pure cash, that's sitting on the balance sheet waiting to be deployed either stock buybacks, uh, acquisitions as a fortress to make to weather downturns of the economy like we're kind of going through. So that's lovely to see. Prior year is even larger than that. They had $36 billion of cash on hand in the checking account and $60 billion of marketable securities. 
total current assets last year, $146 billion. Uh, total assets, $462 billion. Let's take a look at the liability section. Current liabilities, $155 billion. So current assets and current liabilities are almost a complete match. Uh, slightly more uh, current liabilities. When we look at long-term lease liabilities, $72 billion, and we look at long-term debt, $67 billion. We'll add that up later and look at a debt-to-earnings ratio, but that's not going to be a problem for us. And you come down to the, to the equity table, they have $146 billion of equity for, the, for a total liability and uh, equity of $462 billion with matches assets. Balance looks super clean to me. Uh, let's take a look at the cash flow statement. All right, the cash flow statement is really where the rubber meets the road. That's what we're here for. We want to find the cash money, the hard jack that the company makes and figure out what's the company truly worth. And that's going to be how much cash it makes today. And most importantly, our guess as to what the cash is going to be in the future. That's all we're trying to do. Understand how much cash money they make. How resilient is that? Is there a, a moat that protects their ability to continue to generate this cash and ward off competition? And then what will that cash be in the future and what should we pay for it today? So the first thing we want to do is look at the cash flow from operations of Amazon. And cash flow from operations is the first third of the cash flow statement. It's cash flow from operation. That's how much jack they made running the day-to-day -day business. And what I like about the cash flow statement is it's measurable. The auditors that are auditing uh, Amazon can call up their bank and say, excuse me, bank, as of December 31st, 2022 and 2021, how much cash did they have in the bank? They will get quoted from that bank as a third party saying this is the cash balance. They can look at through all the receipts and balances and they can look at, verify how much cash was actually produced. As opposed to the income statement, the income statement has uh, management discretionary items in it, such as depreciation schedules, uh, accruing uh, prepaid costs, and so forth, that management can kind of finesse the numbers a little bit to make the operating income look a bit better over time. Uh, my, myself, I'm a CFO as a profession, and I've done that several times within companies to kind of smooth operations over the period of time, but it's very, very difficult to, uh, to hide pure cash money. That's why you always want to look at the operating cash flow statement. The first third is the operating cash flow. The second or middle third is the cash flow from investing. That section is where you find the capex or acquisitions that they make. The final is the cash flow from financing, the bottom section. That's did they issue stock? Did they buy back stock? Did they pay a dividend? Did they borrow or pay down debt? Those sections are in the financing sections. The first thing, what do they make? Well, look here. Last year, they made $46 billion of jack. Prior to that, they made $46 billion of jack. Prior to that, they made $66 billion of jack. Now, that's all positive, which is great to see. And there's a couple things I want to note in here. Number one, stock-based compensation. It's your bane. It's my bane. I hate it. Uh, because lots of companies, because it's a non-cash item, so it, it does lift cash flow, but it's dilutive to you and I. And, and many companies, at least prior to the, the collapse, absolutely abused how much they gave their, their employees for stock comp and how they represented it to employees, excuse me, to investors by adding it back to their earnings or adding it back to EBITDA. You'll see adjusted EBITDA, which is what 
Warren Buffett and others call true nonsense, where they're just adding back almost anything. This is a true cost. You're going to see me adjust for it, whereas I, I expense it. But basically, my point here, last year was $19 billion of stock based comp. Two years prior, it was 9.2. I think what's going to go on is part of the cuts, part of the come down in stock price means that the options people have are going to expire worthless. The options that they have are going to be worth less. And this dollar amount, this $19.6, which is boosting this number here, is going to come down a little bit. Uh, and, it, and this number is expensed in the P&L, and that's going to go up a little bit. So I think this is going to kind of normalize. And you've got here a large $21 billion of outflow in other receivable. I think that's going to come back down and normalize a little bit and should boost cash flow a little bit over time. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Property, plant, and equipment, they are continuing to invest in the business. Despite the downturn of the market, they're not shying away from making capital investments, which is what you want to see. I expect them to lean into uh, the cheaper acquisitions that they might make or uh, take advantage of lower prices and, and, and upgrade infrastructure that they need. So they put $63 billion to work um, increasing their logistics, increasing their facilities and technology. That is them reinvesting for the future. And I scroll through, what do I see? The very first thing I see, a $6 billion stock buyback. That's right, Amazon is starting to buy stock. And I wouldn't be surprised if they start paying a dividend if growth is slowing. So this is a very interesting inflection point for this business that it was a growth stock for a long, long time. And it could be switching into a bit more of a value-based, uh, kind of like what Apple did uh, what would that be 10 years ago when Apple switched to paying a dividend, buying back stock? So Amazon could be at an inflection point if they're buying back stock. Then you've got issuance of debts here, inflows and outflows of principal. I'll cover that in a bit. Uh, and that basically rounds out the statement because there's no actual dividends. All you get to see is the one time that they bought back stock for $6 billion, just common stock repurchased. Now, let's go take a look at some income statements historically and start looking at some patterns and figure out what this stock truly represents long term. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. All right, we're going to review revenue EBITDA enterprise value for this company for the last nine years. I'm going to show you some graphs that are going to go back 20 years. And I'm going to post the full detail of this in the cash flow club for all the cash flow members that can see the full actually 30 years since they went IPO. I'll give you all that data. For the channel here for this for this show, let's walk through what this business looks like. Because if we're going to forecast into the future, you kind of want to have a feel for what they're actually doing uh, historically. So 2014, top line revenue for this business, $89 billion. In 2015, 107, then 135, then 178, 232, 280, 286, 469, and $513 billion of revenue last fiscal year, and that is a growth every single year. And if I look at it on a Kager basis over this nine-year period of time, is an average annual growth rate 
of 25%. Whew. Blistering fast. Absolutely legend. Wait for it. Dairy, it's amazing. Uh, how much you pay for that? It was very, very expensive to buy it. It was uh, worth it oh, if you had bought the stock many, many years ago. Most recently, the kind of the last money in got smoked. But let's take a look at what this translated, what this revenue translated to in earnings. You're going to find the same thing here. So earnings, 4.3, 4.4 billion dollars in 2014. That grew to 7 7.8, 11.7, 15, 27.8, 36.2, 48.1, 59, and then $54 billion last year with a small decline, uh, like I said, because that stock-based comp at $19 billion uh, is expensed and bringing down the P&L. And of course, revenue slowed for them before they could cut costs. So there's a little bit of a dip here and I would expect them to be able to right size that in the future. But what I wanted to show you is the long-term average consolidated growth rate of 37% annual EBITDA growth. The annual EBITDA growth is greater than the annual revenue growth. So I'm gonna expect margins to be growing as this business scales. And if I look over here, do a side calculation for you of what is the EBITDA margin, your EBITDA margin earlier in this decade was single digits, high single digits, so five to 9% in that range right there. And then as this company scaled, they were able to break the 10% limit and start getting into the low teens. And you can see they had 12, 13, 12, 13, and 11% EBITDA margin. This 11% here is what I think they're gonna uh, come off of. They're going to go back up to 13% is what I would think they could target. That's a 2% uh, reduction in cost or 2% or mar margin growth, which represents 2% on, on revenue is about $10 billion that I think they could squeak out of the business over the years. Uh, maybe not next year, but over time, they should be able to get that out of the business and it's pure profit. It drops right to the bottom line. You attach a multiple on it and the stock price goes back up. So we're going to look at that a little bit and I think that's an area opportunity. But let's finish the chart. Let's look at debt and leverage. Debt, debt levels. This is current portion of long-term debt. This is current portion of capital leases. It is total long-term debt and total capitalized leases. You want to look at all that. And what you're going to find here is you got $16 billion that grows to $140 billion, a 31% annual increase, which is less than the growth rate of profitability. So you would expect that their ratio of debt to EBITDA is not going to change materially. Cash on hand is absolutely a monster. So what we're doing here, this is excess cash. It's not all cash. It is the cash that the business could dividend out and not disrupt their app operations. So if, if they have, um, let's say, what I say, $70 billion of cash on hand last, um, last year, they don't need the full 70 to, to run. Maybe they have 13 or $18 billion that they actually need in their checking account to cover payroll and the ups and downs over, and the rest could be dividend out and not affect the business. This $54, $52 billion that I have here is the effective a dividend that I could get rid of and not harm the business. And when you're looking at enterprise value, you really want to be able to separate the excess cash to calculate enterprise value. Market cap, shares outstanding times price. I use the average share price for the fiscal year end month. This would be average price for December of each year times the fully diluted stock that's outstanding. 
Uh, I got $145 billion of market cap in this, in this beginning of this time frame in 2014. That doubled basically the next year, 320, 370, 573, 776, 900 billion dollars in 2019, 1.6 trillion dollars in 2020, and the pinnacle, the coup de gras, the creme de la creme, 1.76 trillion dollars in 2021, which then collapsed, collapsed. Uh, to only $900 billion the following year, this last fiscal year. So that's a drop of $800 billion off of the, the, of the drop of earnings of only $5 billion. Revenue grew, by the way. Revenue still went up. Earnings grew, excuse me, earnings fell by $5 billion, roughly 10%, yeah, dropped by 9%. And what did it do? It eviscerated $800 billion of market cap over time. Absolutely incredible. I think, I think that shows the, the complete euphoria that the market was. So if I add debt plus market cap minus excess cash, I get enterprise value. Now, what is the enterprise value of a company? What does it mean? Well, think of real estate. If you buy a house, uh, you pay the enterprise value for the house. But if you don't have a full cash, let's say it's two million bucks for a house, you don't have cash to lay out for two million, you go to a bank and you say, hey bank, I want a mortgage. The, more, the bank gives you a mortgage and you put your down payment on the house. The down payment on your house is the equity, is the market cap of the house. The mortgage on the business is the debt. You add them up, you get the retail value of the house when you bought it, same thing for a business. Add debt, add market cap. We do less cash because of technicality, but basically the principle is the same and you get enterprise value. What's quoted in the stock market is the market cap. And it, it ignores the debt level on a company. And you wanna make sure that you are looking at companies with the debt that they have in place as the enterprise value. That is a true value of the business. That's the way you wanna look at it. So the enterprise value for this company was $158 billion in 2014. And it's grown very similarly to, um, to market cap, because it's mostly market cap, at a peak of $1.8 trillion last year and has fallen to just shy of a trillion, $984 billion as of December last year. Now, what I want to cover here is a couple multiples that we use to judge relative value based on how things trade. The first one, debt to EBITDA. This is how much leverage they have. Are they appropriately leveraged or they have too much debt? If you're over three times, you have too much leverage. A bank, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citibank, these big, big boys will lend three times EBITDA to a business as a senior loan. After that, you get into mezzanine capital or preferred stock or some sort of tranched debt level that's somewhere between common equity, which is what you and I buy as common people, and the senior bank or the assets the, the, the behind the company, which is, which is backstopping your investment. So if you have Amazon here, and they have what we say, uh, uh, I don't know, I forget the balance sheet. Let's say they have a billion dollars of assets and they have zero debt and you bought the common stock of the, of the company, then you have a claim as an equity owner on a billion dollars of, excuse me, a trillion dollars of assets uh, of Amazon, the assets on the balance sheet. Now, as they leverage the business, as they put debt on the 
on the books. That debt goes in front of you as an equity owner. Your claim on assets, if, they, if the company were to go to bankruptcy, the judge would give all the assets to the debt holders first, then it would give it all to the junior debt holders, then it would give it all to the preferred stockholders, then finally the common stock owners would get whatever's left. And the problem here is a company is too leveraged, there's nothing left for the equity holders. So it's very important, the companies you buy should not be too leveraged. Here, you have a leverage, the last fiscal year, remember balance sheet is a point in time. You want to measure a point in time, so it's, it's 1.6 times. That means the, the, the amount of debt that they have here, uh, debt, 140 billion, it would take them 1.6 years of operating, making $54 billion of money to pay back that debt. That is a low debt ratio. It's 1.6 times less than three. It checks the box. It's a good deal for us. That means it's not well leveraged. Us as equity owners have a decent claim on the collateral of the business to protect some sort of downside protection. Now, what I want to talk to you about is the enterprise value to EBITDA. This is the market multiple. And EBITDA, rightly so, gets some flack for not being free cash flow and can be manipulated. So, checkbox. We're going to look at free cash flow in a second. But the EBITDA market multiple is quoted when, when companies acquire other businesses. In investment banking, it's quoted often. I work for private equity companies. I help run their private equity companies. Uh, we use EBITDA as a measure of uh, performance and operating performance all the time. So it is a industry staple, even though EBITDA has its flaws. And what I want to show you here is if I take the enterprise value of the business, our, our house, total value, and divide it by the earnings that we make annually, our earnings here, I get a multiple number of years the business has to make that money to basically pay for itself. That's kind of a, 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 a capital return. Remember the first rule of investment, don't lose money. Second, don't forget the first rule. Uh, what we're trying to do is gauge how well this business is going to be able to return our principal. And if you pay a low amount for the business on a multiple basis, the business can generate cash fast enough to give you a high chance of getting your money back. And this company traded enterprise value EBITDA at a very, very high multiple, 36 times in 2014, 42 times in 2015. That means you have to wait 42 years for the business to earn its principal back, assuming no growth. 32 times, 40 times, 29 times, 26 times, 35 times, 30 times, and then finally, 18.2 times, which is the cheapest I have seen it in the last 20 years, hence the chart I showed you before. Let's revisit this chart so you can see visually that the stock has traded as a yellow line as a very high premium for many, many years as growth was, was continuing to be high. But as growth is slowed, the market multiple of the business has absolutely created. I think that presents a very interesting opportunity. If, for example, the company is able to maintain growth and this market multiple reverts higher, you get a market multiple expansion. If it doesn't, it holds flat 18 times is not an inconceivable amount of money to pay a uh, multiple to pay for a business that's doing 500 billion a year in annual revenue and is absolutely a global uh, dominating force. That seems like a reasonable market multiple to me to pay for such a behemoth like Amazon. So now that we've looked at revenue and EBITDA and enterprise value, let's review where the rubber meets the road, the hard cash flow of this company. So I'm going to move through quickly here, the adjusted free cash flow. This is me taking cash flow from operations and subtracting the stock-based compensation. You get $5.3 billion and it grows much like EBITDA the last year, 
of $27 billion. That's an annual growth rate of 23%, which is roughly in line with the growth rate of EBITDA of 37%, which means the accounting team is doing an excellent job expensing cash costs on the P&L. They're not playing monkey games. If you see a company where EBITDA is growing and cash flow is going down, someone's playing funny with the numbers. So you wanna see those, those, those trends move in the same direction. CapEx is how much money they're putting back in the business. And this business is putting a lot of money back into it. They're actually dwarfing how much cash they generate when I expense cash flow from operations. And they're using some debt to do that, which in my opinion is okay. They're leaning into their business. The cash flow is still strong. They have plenty of room to borrow the money. And I've adjusted cash flow here for the expense of stock-based comp, which is what I said will come down a little bit over time. So I think this cash flow adjustment could go could go a little higher. So the next thing we want to look at is the debt payments and I and the debt payments are kind of in and out and make kind of the muddy the waters. If I zero this out because the, the leverage that they have is is acceptable, I don't need them to pay down debt. So I want to just see what if they didn't have any debt or if I didn't make any payments the inflow out what happens to the cash flow of the business? And you can see here that the cash flow is making roughly, call that $15 billion, despite the last couple years of high stock-based comp as that comes down, that should normalize. We, we could expect that kind of cash flow on a per share basis, you're maybe $1.50 or so per share. The next thing we wanna look at is shares. Shares outstanding have been growing over time. This past year was like the first year that they actually dropped the shares. And if that continues, that means there's an opportunity here for this company to use their free cash flow to buy back shares and boost and defend earnings per share. If I look at the earnings per share on average, like I said, there's probably about a $1.50 here of earnings per share or about a you know one and a half percent free cash flow yield is what this stock has traded at historically. Okay, so now we've looked at revenue, EBITDA are growing and they check the box. The uh, the low debt is theirs. The cash flow, I believe, is there. They're putting a lot of the cash into property, planning, equipment to grow. So I'm going to give them that check the box, even though CapEx is higher than our adjusted ca free cash flow. We've adjusted for stock-based comp, which is not truly cash. Uh, and, uh, and they've been able to wisely invest that cash in the future, so I'm gonna trust that it's gonna do. Let's look at some long-term ratios quickly, just to get a feel for this business, and then forecast. Okay, behind me you can see, I, I presented this to you before, EBITDA and enterprise value EBITDA. EBITDA is the blue line. You can see it's absolutely skyrocketed to six, almost $600 billion, and then fell off this last year. This little tiny drop here is what has caused the business to absolutely lose $800 billion of market cap. Never mind all this historical data of what they've built up, this little drop caused the actual collapse. And you can see the market multiple has come down as the business has grown to an all-time low of 8.2 times. If we look at EBITDA margins, what they make over time, they've been profitable for the last 20 years with a high here that I think they're gonna be able to return to given $500 billion of earnings, they should be able to squeeze out of that one to two percent which would truly boost the bottom line and this graph here shows you what the enterprise value of the company is relatively low absolutely skyrockets and then basically halved almost this last year i think this provides a very interesting opportunity let's forecast amazon all right before we forecast i do want to take a moment to say if you like what you're seeing check the subscribe button 
uh, hit the like button, throw me a comment down below. I greatly appreciate it. Helps the old social media algorithm. Uh, and check out my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. I teach a course. Like I said earlier, I'm a CFO by profession. I've trained lots of analysts to work for me, and I'm happy to train you. Uh, I built a course that goes through how to value a company. It's basically like M uh, an MBA kind of finance course in a box. It's very cheap. And what you'll learn in this course is exactly how to do this, how to read 10Ks, how to adjust for stock splits or, or, or uh, reverse splits, how to, for, how to get EBITDA, how to forecast, what a market multiple is, what a yield is. I, I'll teach you how to do it. And I'll give you this Excel sheet so you can do it for every single company that you own. All right, let's dive into the forecasting now for Amazon. I've got $67 billion here of an EBITDA forecast, which is a 24% growth year over year. How am I doing this? Well, I'm basically taking 5% of revenue. So I'm saying revenue at 500 billion is going to grow 5% year, year over year, which is much slower than they have been growing for the last decade, right? We looked at revenue growth. Revenue growth has been 25% on average for the last eight years, nine years. I'm saying 5% growth next year on this number. And then I'm saying margins are going to return to this range of about 13 times. That gives me my EBITDA target here. Are they going to hit this next year? They may or may not. I don't really care. I'm buying the stock for a 10-year hold. So one quarter, one year, it's about the long-term vision here. So I'm going to buy it and then I'm going to say growth is going to continue to decline as this business just scales. You simply cannot grow it as fast as you used to. So that, eight, that, 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 that growth rate of 24 is going to be 15, 12 and so forth all the way down to kind of a real low kind of dividend machine out long term. I've got a long-term EBITDA forecast of $146 billion, which is still very strong. Uh, it's, it's, it's more than doubling. I'm expecting it to more than double from next year's number, which is an assumption, an aggressive assumption, not nearly as aggressive, however, as what has been required in the past when this stock was trading at 30 and 40 times enterprise value EBITDA. Now, at that time, I'm going to give it an 18 times market multiple here, which is basically flat where it's trading right now. What that does is gives me a market cap of one point, excuse me, $2.6 trillion. I back off a little debt, add some cash, and I get a market cap of $2.5 trillion. Divide by the shares outstanding, and I get a price target, an estimate, a finger-in-the-air guess based on the math for, a, for Amazon of $249.90 out 10 years from now. Now let's look at free cash flow, where the rubber meets the road. If I look at what I think they can generate by reverting back to prior years of what they've generated, grow the, um, grow the EBITDA a little bit like we did before and use a relative value, look at free cash flow divided by EBITDA, they're in this range here of say 60 to 35. If I average this and take my forecast and apply it on a per share basis, I get $2.80 per share and that $2.82, and I grow that with EBITDA for a long-term $6.16 target. I apply a free cash flow multiple of two and a half times, which is less than it's trading at currently with the one, one and a half time. And I get a market estimated price of $246.34.
Now here's the fun part, right? Now we have an opinion on what Amazon is worth long-term. Now let's look into the stock market and see what we can buy it for. Today, you can buy this stock for $120 a share. What does that mean? That means that this current stock is trading at an enterprise value of $1.1 trillion. Uh, I got a forecast, a long-term forecast of 66, 67 um, uh, billion for EBITDA next year, not long-term, next year. That means I'm buying this at a 17 times market multiple, which is less, less than our long-term 18 times. So let's put this into a, into a forecast and IRR and see what we get. Here we go. If I buy the stock for $102, I'm out at 248. That's almost two times my, two and a half times my money right there. Plus I get a pro rata share of a, a free cash flow that they own. They can dividend this money, they can buy back stock, which they started to do, or they can make acquisitions with it. Long-term, this stock, I think you're going to make 14% annual IRR. What this means is that long-term, I think you can make about 14% on an annualized IRR. If, you, if this math holds true, that you bought it at $102 a share, you sold it 10 years from now at $248, and the company produced this stream of cash flow, which is based on this kind of forecasted return to normal and then slowing growth over time and some kind of reasonable market multiple. If I put this into a distribution, let's say you're looking at this video a couple months from now, the stock's moved around. Well, if it's higher than here, I'm not buying it. If it falls, it becomes a much, much better buying opportunity. It's currently 103 at 14% IRR, which is above the long-term average for the S&P 500. And I think this is a very compelling buying opportunity given a couple things. One, you've got earnings growth here. They've been growing earnings for a long time. I think they've recovered and they can grow. Two, you've got a potential market multiple expansion where you're, you're buying something at 17 times. It could trade at 18. It could trade higher if growth returns. And then the, the last one, they're buying back stock. They just started buying back stock. They have a tremendous amount of cash in the banks and I expect the new management to do that. Well, what are those three things? The regular listeners, probably guessed it, it's a trifecta, right? That's why I'm wearing the trifecta t-shirt. It is the hallmark of an amazing investment opportunity. If you can, if it pans out that a company grows earnings, a company buy back stock, and a company um, it has a market multiple expansion. Those three things compound to give you the hockey stick curve. If you want an amazing example, check out my video where I compare Domino's Pizza and Google. Domino's outperformed Google 15 years since their IPO because even though Google grew faster, you paid such a high price for Google, Google never bought back any shares, and the market multiple never expanded for Google that the return is actually less than had you bought Domino's Pizza for seven times market multiple when it IPO'd, they bought back a ton of stock, they've issued dividends, they grew their earnings, and then boom, a market multiple expansion during the pandemic and it produced uh, five or six thousand percent return over the 15-year period of time. Definitely take a look at that video. Now, okay, let's review the five key attributes for Amazon. Number one, top-line revenue growth. Yes, it's growing, continue to grow even last year. Number, check the box. Number two, EBITDA growth. Yeah, EBITDA is growing. Last year it came down, but we fully expect it to recover. Number three, strong free cash flow. Absolutely, this company makes a ton of cash and they reinvest it, a lot of it in CapEx, which is fine because they've been growing. Number four, low debt. 
Debt is 1.6 times EBITDA. It is low for us. We will check that box. And number five, well-priced. Yes, I think Amazon at these levels are well-priced, and it's something that I have not seen in a while. This stock traded for 30, 40 times earnings for a long, long time. It's now at 18. That produces a very attractive buying opportunity. Should growth return, you could see a market multiple expansion that would really appeal for the long-term uh, long-term buyer. Thank you for watching the review of Amazon. I hope you appreciated it and understand now why I think Amazon is cheaper than it's been in over 20 years. That market multiple is a very attractive opportunity for a company that has been a growth stock for uh, for since its existence and is now converting into a value stock that could potentially grow much like Apple did 10 years ago when the market multiple was Apple was eight, nine times. People were saying it was all over. They weren't paying a dividend. What'd they do? They found growth. They're paying a dividend. They're buying back stock and the, and the, and the stock itself has gone up. Amazon, very interesting opportunity here. They're just starting to buy back their shares. They have a ton of cash on the hand. The, the market multiple for me seems very reasonable for a company that has an opportunity to grow in a lot of different areas. If you like this type of work, I highly suggest you check out my website. There's a link down below, cashflowinvestingpro.com where I teach a course where I've taught lots of analysts to become financial analysts themselves. I give you this Excel sheet behind me. I walk you through and I train you how to build forecasts for your own portfolio. If you don't want to do the work, I suggest you join the Cashflow Club. Cashflow Club is a monthly membership where the, me and other analysts inside this group produce one pagers on stocks. We have over 150 stocks that we track now, and we give you 10 years of financial data. We give you a forecast of EBITDA, a free cash flow. We give you a summary of the business, what we think could happen for this company going forward. It's a very handy one pager, and you collect them for the, for the stocks that you like. You keep them on your desk, and as the stock price moves, you have a handy piece of due diligence to begin your analysis and kind of kickstart a review, because it's hard to keep a reminder of every stock that you really, really like, but it's nice to have a one pager of a few stocks that you would love to one day buy, and hopefully they become of value. Now, I'm offering a special promotion right now to join the Cashflow Club with one month free with this following discount code. You've got DQ4E010. That is the discount code to give you one free month of uh, Cashflow membership, uh, and it's expiring at the end of May. So basically get in there, punch in the code, check it out. Uh, I think you're gonna like it. We've covering over 150 stocks. There are some tremendous buys out there right now of companies that are yielding very high free cash flow because the market is down. And the analysts in there are there to take some questions and we can talk and discuss about what is the true value of a business. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you very much for watching the channel, all the comments and subscribers. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening on the podcast. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to ping me on the website. My email is down below. You can also get a free one-pager on my web on the, on the link down below in the video. Uh, thank you very much for the time. Have a great day. Bye-bye.